were thinking perhaps that God had uh, rejected them. Kind of reminds me of a young man who had joined the army, and he was learning to be a paratrooper. Before his first jump, of course, like they always do, and Clay's familiar with this, they give you a few instructions. They said, jump when you're told to jump. Count to ten, pull the ripcord, and release the parachute. In the unlikely event that your parachute does not release, pull the backup chute and release that one. And there will be a truck waiting for you to take you back to the base. The young man memorized the instructions, got onto the plane. He was waiting for his turn and he began to see paratroopers jumping out of the plane. So it came his time, he heard the command jump and he jumped. He counted to ten, he pulled the ripcord, nothing. He reached, he pulled the other ripcord, nothing, no parachute. And on his way down, he thought to himself, well, I don't guess the truck will be there either when I get there. That's how the nation of Israel felt. They felt like that they were of no hope, wasn't going to matter what they did, They felt God had left them. After all, they'd been in Egypt for 400 years. They'd been under the the whip of the taskmaster. They came into that country, though, favored by Pharaoh, didn't they? Then adversity came. There rose up a king who didn't know Joseph. And in fear of their great numbers, they put them to work as slaves for the nation. And they endured intense suffering and affliction. However, in their affliction, Exodus chapter 2, they cried out to the Lord and God heard their cries. And to rescue them from the bondage of Egypt, He raised up the unlikely deliverer, Moses, an 80-year-old fugitive from the law. And He sent him into Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. He arrived in Egypt. He confronted the king. He demanded that the king release his people, Exodus 5, 1 through 5. Yet, Pharaoh refused. And not only did Pharaoh refuse, Exodus 5, 6 through 23, he intensified their bondage. He made them work even harder than what they had been working. In fact, Israel had come to the point where it was a breaking point for them. They became angered at Moses and they turned on him. Now what Moses did was in in response to Israel turning on him, he turned to God. And it is at that point when God gave him that message of comfort that we just read. He said, I'm going to take you into Egypt. And with the power of my hand, I'm going to perform some mighty feats and I will deliver you out of Egypt. God gave him some heavenly comfort for Israel because they needed it. They needed to hear something that would uh, lighten the burden they were carrying. Now, we've got burdens in our own lives, don't we? We've got chutes that aren't opening. We've got trucks that aren't showing up. We've got things that happen in our lives. And when, when those things happen, those same words of comfort can help us that helped Israel. Our situations and circumstances obviously are different, but they were being delivered from bondage, and that's what God offers to the people 
of the world. I've titled this sermon this evening, Don't Lose Hope, God is There. And that's what Israel needed to understand. Moses, in essence, told them, don't lose hope. God is there. God is still here. God will deliver us. God cares about His people. God cares about the situations in which we find ourselves. He cares about the issues we face. He cares about our well-being. We may look around or we may find ourselves in a situation and we may think no one cares about us. God cares about every aspect of our lives. He does care. And our passage this evening, I believe, demonstrates some of the ways in which God cares for us. We're going to notice first, God cares about our frustration. There are a lot of people who are frustrated in this passage, isn't there? The people of Israel are frustrated. Their burdens have been made heavier. Moses is frustrated. After all, the only thing Moses did was what God asked him to do. He went into Egypt. He demanded that Pharaoh release God's people. And Pharaoh, in his rejection of his obedience to God, made the burdens of Israel greater. So everyone involved is frustrated. And did God care? Yes, certainly God cared. God cares about our frustration. He cares about the burdens that we bear. We have to bear some burdens in this life. Burdens are the things in this life that trouble us. They're the things in this life that worry us, that concern us, those things which present problems to us. God cares about every one of them. He cares about our financial problems. He doesn't want us to uh, misuse our finances and not be good stewards, but He still cares about our financial trouble. He cares about our personal troubles, our family problems. He cares about our interactions with one another and when feelings are hurt or whatever the case may be. He cares about all of those things. We all have burdens. Israel had some great burdens. They were forced to gather the materials to make bricks. They made those bricks by hand. They were forced to take those bricks and to to build whatever building types of things that they were commanded to build. You know, our burdens differ from theirs, but we still have burdens. Everyday life at times can be a huge struggle for any of us. It doesn't matter what kind of shape we're in financially or socially or or whatever, we may have the greatest of lives in our minds, and we people may wish that their lives were like ours, but you know, you can look into anyone's life, and that person has burdens. Now here's something that we don't want to do. We do not want to confuse the Christian life with the struggles of life. Now that doesn't mean living a godly life is easy in every aspect, in all aspects, But it isn't a burden from which we need to be rescued. We need to make sure we always remember that. Jesus said this, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Christian cross that we bear isn't, a burden from which we need to be rescued. And so we need to 
understand the difference between true burdens in this life and living the Christian life. God cares about our frustrations. He cares about the burdens in this life. And He cares about the bondage in which we might find ourselves. Israel was in physical bondage to Egypt. They were under the control of someone. And that's what bondage means, right? Bondage is what controls us. The taskmasters and the king of Egypt controlled Israel. They told them what they could do. They told them what they could not do. And they uh, abused and mistreated them. Of course, Pharaoh was being manipulated by Satan, and Satan was the cause of all of that problem. But those who were the immediate uh, people who had bondage over Israel was those in Egypt. God cares about our bondage. He cares about our bondage today. He wants us to be rescued from the people, the substances, the sins, whatever the case may be. He wants us to be rescued from the bondage in this life. And we can allow Him, and we can be rescued if we let that happen. Notice what Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. He said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. God cares about our bondage. Now, this word care, it points to anxieties and worries that we have. That's what this, these cares are. And this idea of casting... Peter says, cast your burdens upon Him. And it's the idea of throwing something down once and for all. If there comes something in our lives that we have no control over, we're not to continually worry to the point where it becomes sinful. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't care about it. That doesn't mean it won't sadden us or, or worry us in some sense. But we need to understand if there's nothing we can do about a situation... Allow God to take care of it. Cast it upon Him. And this is, again, the sense that intends a once-for-all casting. And it also intends uh, and indicates a continual and a constant and an unending concern and interest by God on behalf of the one who is casting the problem. God cares about our burdens. He cares about... Bondage. He cares about what affects us. He cares about... We need, to, we need to let that sink in. We need to understand God cares about what affects us in this life. There are things that affect us in a negative way. He cares about what affects us in a positive way. He cares about us, period. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 4, beginning with 15... He confirmed, saying, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That fits in perfectly with what Peter said. Cast your cares upon... Why is it that we can cast our cares upon the Lord? He understands our cares, doesn't He? We don't have a high priest that can't understand the infirmities, the, the sicknesses, the worries, the anxieties, the problems of this life. He had them all and more. And so we can go boldly to His throne, understanding that, that He knows what we're going through. We can cast, once for all, cares that we cannot control in this life upon Him because He cares for us. 
God cares about our frustration. Most importantly, He cares about our freedom, doesn't He? That's our second point. He cares about our freedom. God promised to free Israel from bondage. And He did that. And He's promised to free us from sin. Israel had slipped into sin. Israel, while in Egypt, had begun to become idolatrous. That's where they learned to worship idols. That's where they learned to worship uh, someone other than the God of heaven. They were influenced by the Egyptians. And they had slipped into sin. They had slipped into sin. They weren't paying attention. But God cares about our freedom. Now, our problem can be solved just like Israel's problem was solved at that time. God sent Moses. He sent Moses. He led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, led them to the the cusp of entering into the Promised Land. Joshua took over, and he led them across the Jordan, and they conquered the, the Promised Land, and God fulfilled His promise. God's not going to send Moses to us. We live under an entirely different situation, but He did send Jesus. And Jesus was sent so that He could free us from the burden from sin, and if we're obedient in Him, sin cannot hold us in bondage any longer. He solved that problem. He's given us the power to resist those sins, Romans 6, 11 through 18, that hinder our walk with Him day by day. He's given us that ability. He's given us, Brother Tom in his prayer gave thanks to God for having the Bible given to us. He's given us the way which we can come out of sin into freedom. Why? Because God cares. He cares about our freedom. He's given us the power to overcome sin after having obeyed the gospel. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? We sin, we fall short of what God expects, and so He's provided a way for the Christian, the person who has already obeyed the gospel, to be able to repent of that sin, make that confession, whether publicly or privately, and come back and God will forgive. That's what Brother Tom said. He said, we know that you'll forgive us if we ask. If we, if we ask in repentance for God to forgive us. We see that example. A man by the name of Simon the sorcerer. We recall him. The apostles had gone down and, and uh, he saw what they were doing. And he sinned against God. And God provided a way for him to come out of that sin. Acts 8, verse 20 through 24, we recall the context in which this passage can be applied. He saw what Peter and the other apostles were doing. Peter and John, he wanted to buy that. He wanted to be able to uh, perform those miraculous gifts because he was a magician. And based on his action and based on his offer to purchase the power of God with money, Acts uh, 8, beginning in verse 20, Peter said unto him, Thy money perished with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. God cares about our freedom. He cares about our freedom from sin. And He cares about us continuing our freedom from slavery. He doesn't want us to go back in 
to where we came out of, right? You know, as Israel came out of Egypt and they found themselves in the wilderness and, and things weren't going exactly the way they thought they ought to go and, and they weren't getting fed in exactly the way they ought to be fed. They were thinking of fleshly things, right? They were thinking with their stomachs instead of their minds. And they began to talk about the leeks and the vegetables and the fish and the meat and all this kind of thing. They wanted to go back into bondage. Who thinks that way? Who thinks, after having escaped the mistreatment of bondage... Now, this wasn't, this wasn't bondage like we think of, right? Someone breaks a law in our nation and they go into bondage, meaning they go to prison or they go to jail... Look, they'll go to prison, they'll get a doctorate degree while they're in there, and we'll pay for it. They've got a TV with 900 channels. The best of food, right? I know people, there was one particular individual from there, from where we're from, and he'd spent a long time, he was about my age, spent a long time in prison from a young age, and you know, he liked it. And so when he got out, he intentionally broke the law so he could go back. He wanted to go back to bondage, but he didn't want, he wouldn't have gone back to this bondage. This bondage had taskmasters with whips, and they would beat you nearly to death. They would lay burdens on you that you couldn't perform. But they wanted to go back. See, God doesn't want us to go back. We ought to have enough sense not to want to go back. Paul warned those in Rome saying this, Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God does not want us to return to the slavery of sin. Why? He cares about us. God cares about the things we face in this life. He doesn't want us to return. Peter warned along those same lines, Second Peter 2 beginning with verse 20, he said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again in the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Don't, don't return. That's God's message. Don't return to slavery. I care for you. Don't leave freedom and go back into slavery. God cares about that. We ought to care about that, right? But what's, what's the, the, the idea in the religious world? You don't have to worry about returning to the sin, uh, slavery of sin. If you ever obey the gospel, if you ever become a Christian, that's good enough. You never have to worry about it again. God worries about it. God cares about it. We ought to care about it, right? The people of the world ought to care about maintaining salvation. That's why Paul warned those in Galatia. Galatians 5 verse 4, they were in danger of falling from grace. He said if you leave the uh, being obedient to Christ, you have fallen from grace, right? God cares about our frustration. He cares about our freedom. He most certainly cares about our future. He thinks about our future. And we ought to think about our future, right? God promise, uh, God's promises to Israel extended beyond leaving Egypt. They extended beyond that. He made great promises regarding their future also 
And He has promised our future. He's promised our future. If we'll take it, right? He promised to give the land to the people, Deuteronomy 6.23, and that's what He did. He has promised uh, an inheritance to us, not a temporal inheritance like that of, of Israel coming out of Egypt into a land that He gave them. He hasn't promised us a temporal promise. He's promised our future something that is eternal, an inheritance for us. Like Abraham, we search for that city whose builder and maker is God, right? We don't want something that's temporal. We want something eternal. And that's what God has promised to us. But it's promised on the condition of obedience, isn't it? It's hard for me to understand sometimes. and, And I know that there are a lot of sincere people in the world who believe this, but they've been taught wrong. They've been led astray. Because when we listen to the words of Jesus, it becomes very clear to us that our salvation is based on doing something. It's based on obedience to Him. Jesus warned this, Matthew seven twenty one. This is a very telling verse. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus talked about that at different times. He says, what about those? There'll be those who said, "Didn't I've done many wonderful works in your name. I preached about you. I tried to tell people about you. And his reply was, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Because of the last part of this verse, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. God has promised our future, and he has prepared that future for the faithful. He prepared a place for Israel in Canaan, and Jesus has prepared a place for us. Notice what He told His disciples. This is, this is a beloved passage in the Bible. It's been read at, at the uh, casket sides of people in funeral homes. Jesus told His disciples and He comforted them. John 14 beginning with 1. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He said, I'm going. And if I, if I, if I go and prepare, I'll come again. And He did go and prepare. He did that for us. Why? Because He cares. John saw the result of that preparation, Revelation 21, uh, beginning with verse 1, all the way through chapter 22, verse 5. He saw the result of that preparation. He saw the new heaven and the new earth coming down. He saw in the revelation into the very throne room of God. He saw that preparation. And you know how he described it? In the greatest of terms. He tried to find the greatest adjectives that our minds can understand. The street is gold. Can you imagine a street paved with gold? There's not enough gold in this world to pave the streets of just our nation. And heaven is so much larger. Of course, it's spiritual in nature. But that's the greatness of heaven. The gates that that surround the city that are never closed, the gates, they're made of a pearl, all 12 of them, a pearl each. 
Oh, it's wonderful, right? And so, heaven is prepared for the faithful. And God cares enough about each of us to want us to go there. You know, we have chutes that don't open, trucks that don't show up. But God cares about us. God cares more about us than we care about ourselves. That's just the the true facts. If we cared about ourselves nearly as much as God cared for us, it would never be a question of being obedient to Him. And that's what we always want to do, be striving to care about ourselves in the same way and as just as much as God cares about us. You know, there are some things in this life that burden us down. We need to cast them upon Jesus because He does care. And let's never be like Israel. Let's, let's not find ourselves in the position where we, where we stop being appreciative of what God has done for us. Let's always appreciate Him. God cares about us and He cares about every single aspect of our lives. He cares about everything in our lives that bring worry and anxiety and confusion to us. He, he cares about the things that bring happiness to us and He wants us to have those. But He wants us to be happy within the parameters He set forth. He wants us to have a godly happiness. He wants us to live in godliness and to, and, and, and to set a standard for ourselves. It's always higher and reaching further. He cares for us and we ought to care for ourselves. We talked about the care that God has for us in extending salvation to us. The plan of, the plan of obedience. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. God cares when we make mistakes in this life. He doesn't want us to lose our salvation. He's gone and prepared a place for us. He wants us to be able to enjoy that. So when we make mistakes in this life, He expects us to repent. He expects us to confess those things. If it's a private nature, confess those to God alone. That's not anyone's business. If we've done something in a public way, we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge the wrong in our lives. That doesn't mean... Uh, uh, repentance is revelation necessarily, but we need to acknowledge that we have done something, right? The whole idea of if I've done something, well, did you or not? Did I do something or did I not do something? I ought to know, right? And so we need to take ownership of that. And God will forgive us. Why? Because He cares for us. He cares for you and He cares for me. And He cares enough for an invitation to be extended. If you need to answer it at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.